Hello, 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 and welcome back, or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to children and child therapy and play therapy coming at all of those things from a child-centered perspective. And I've probably ranted on this podcast about diagnosis more than is productive, but I feel compelled to do it again. I feel compelled to do it again because this time on this episode, I don't just want to shit on diagnosis as a general thing, but want to talk more specifically about racism as a mental disorder and how in our profession it is cowardly of us to say otherwise. I wish I could speak to this more specifically, but I remember being taught in graduate school to become a counselor and had a class on cross-cultural counseling where the issue of having a racist client was brought up and whether that should be addressed or whether that was something that you know, maybe wouldn't be addressed if the person didn't want to address it based on some person-centered, and person-centered therapy is essentially the parent of child-centered therapy, philosophy of being accepting of the whole person. And so there was some debate in the class, at least, about whether you would address with a client that their racism as being an issue. The problem with not addressing it is that when I think about the children that I have seen who are racist and I have seen children who have inherited racism from their families and from the culture at large, when I think about parents who I've talked to who are racist, they are, by and large, the most miserable people that I know who have the most toxic family systems that I know, and that has happened enough times in my experience that I have become aware that if you brought a client to me and let me know that their family was racist, that was in their family culture, in a way that's, say, maybe a little bit different than individuals who maybe aren't racist, but don't understand things like white privilege and that sort of thing, which would maybe still qualify them as racist, But I'm speaking about families who are like clearly, consciously, and actively prejudiced against other groups of people based on their skin color. Like that's that's the population that I'm talking about here. And so if I was told that I was receiving a new client who fit that description, I would immediately know and likely be fairly correct in assuming that this child that I'm seeing has a developed relationship to hate, that they have a developed relationship towards judgment, and that they are likely not emotionally aware as a result, not regulated inside of themselves as a result, potentially, well, maybe, I I don't want to say more than I can actually assume. But what I would assume is that the mental health of that family is not good. And I bet I would be correct when I met them. 
And that's why racism needs to be a mental health diagnosis. If you are giving me a client who has an ADHD diagnosis, right? That's the only thing that I know before I meet them. I don't know anything else about them. I just know that they have an ADHD diagnosis. With that diagnosis, I can assume probably with like 90 to 95% certainty that that's a male that I'm going to be seeing. I could also assume with maybe a similar level of certainty that that male is not doing great in school and has a difficult relationship with some authority figures in their world. And that's about it. That's about all I can assume. I've gotten children who have been diagnosed with ADHD before they came to me, and they cover a really wide spectrum in terms of their ability to be focused and connective and you know, present in sessions in terms of their different family structures and emotional difficulties and how much of various different emotions that they have. Like, I really can't assume all that much about that diagnosis because that diagnosis just gets thrown out all the time anyway. And even if we were to say that, you know, there is a such thing as ADHD and it does have a presentation that looks like X, there's so many factors, at least from my perspective, that go into a person's ability to pay attention, a person's ability to be aware, a person's ability to be invested in their experience and not distracted by the various stimuli in their environment. So now, if, like when we're talking about a family that's racist, I know for a fact that there is a well-developed internal pathway for hate. And then I can also know for a fact that whatever shadow material is inside of this child or this family, that that shadow material would often be projected onto the object of hate. For that reason, I can know that these are not balanced people that I'm working with, that there is a lot of unhealthy emotional relationships internally, which would result in vitriol and sometimes aggression or some level of numbing or disassociation of a reactivity, of a reactivity. And I feel like I could assume most of those things. I feel like I could get a comprehensive portrait of at least how the family is unhealthy or one way that they're unhealthy. And I draw that comparison to ADHD just to highlight that if our aim in diagnosing is to correctly identify where a person needs support, where a person needs to understand something, where a person needs to grow and move in order to be whole and not damaged, if we're trying to identify the places inside of our own functioning that get messed up, then how can racism not be a mental health diagnosis? And further, a mental health diagnosis that tells us a lot about the individuals in question. There is another aspect or benefit to treating racism as a mental health diagnosis that I feel pulled to raise up, and I'm going to draw a parallel here to trauma work, but I do a small amount of, of work with adult survivors of child sexual abuse. And in that work, a question often arises around, like, how how does healing happen, right? How does one heal from a trauma? What magic is occurring inside of, of therapy to cause this healing to occur? 
And the truth about it, at least as far as I can gather from the work, is that when something is brought to the surface and exposed to the light, and it's held with love, and it's witnessed, and it's accepted, that its power is stripped away and it dissolves. It's like a, it's like a vampire being ex- exposed to sunlight. Maybe it's, it's not that instant, say, but it can be. And even if it's not that instant, because it rarely is, especially if the thing is large and has a lot of different tendrils of emotions hanging to it, traumas are multifaceted, but the more that's brought into the light, that, that's all that's needed to heal it. That's all that's needed is it's for it to be brought in the light and held and loved, and it eventually loses its power. And I don't think that racism is any different in that sense, that often when I've been around racist people, they can speak in a kind of code. It's like they're communicating to each other a shared demonic sentiment towards other human beings that they know can't be exposed to the light. All of these things are just kept under wraps in different kinds of ways to the point of people pretending that they don't even exist at all, that they're just made-up things. And fighting against that, something like that and something that's so entrenched in our systems as that can feel daunting, it can feel impossible, it can feel overwhelming, you could feel apathetic. But the truth is that the simple fact of exposing something to the light takes away its power, takes away its stranglehold on us. Something does happen when things are brought up into the light and called out for what they are and accepted. And if as a profession of people who use the DSM, we have a legacy of being behind the times as a profession... There should not be a lot of pride in the diagnosing acumen of people who diagnosed individuals whose sexual orientation was anything other than heterosexual as being deviant. And that's just one example. And I don't, you know, I don't even really know how they they come up with this DSM stuff. I guess a bunch of people get together in a room with a bunch of research and iron it out over countless years or something but it would be really cool if you know you can't even say it's really ahead of the times at this point i think it's not rocket science to say to someone that you know like hey i think if someone's racist like that's really an issue an emotional mental issue that they have it's like we all know that we all know that's a that's just facts that's just facts in terms of like communication between people the whole premise of this podcast is freaking ridiculous from the perspective of just living a life as a human being like take diagnosis and throw it out the window you're just living your life as a person and you encounter someone who's saying some horrid racist shit and you're like yeah that person is is messed up in some way they're disordered they're disordered but somehow it's i can make a podcast like this because the dsm calls all kinds of things disorders calls all kinds of basic human emotions like anxiety and depression and i understand that 
experiencing those things and getting caught in those emotional spaces for long periods of time is a thing that happens and we can find a name for it. And it's helpful to be able to call it something. It helps bring it into the light. And it's gross that the DSM does not include racism and prejudice. It's gross that it politely declines, that we politely decline our mandate as mental health professionals in calling a spade a spade and being able to name that assertively and clearly that someone who is racist is disordered. And that is all that I have for this episode of Playtime. Thank you and your ears for listening. Please rate and review and subscribe and all that good stuff and head to barnettchildtherapy.com to check out the Child Centered Children book series to increase your empathy for the darling little ones that occupy your world. And if you want to get in touch with me, just do it. Be in touch. My email, it's barnettchildtherapy at gmail.com. And yeah, I will see you all next time.